भागवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भागवते वासुदेवाय नारायण नमस्कृत नरम चोत्तम देवी सरस्वती व्यास Thank you very much for coming in and for joining on Zoom. There's a it takes a lot to get back here to be able to read Bhagavatam without any distraction. But now we're here and we're to a very important verse in the second canto, third chapter, text number 10. <clears throat> A person who has broader intelligence, whether he be full of all material desire, without any material desire, desiring liberation must by all means, or desiring liberation must by all means worship the supreme whole, the personality of godhead the supreme personality of godhead lord shri krishna is described in the bhagavad gita as purushottam or the supreme personality it is he only who can award liberation to the impersonalists by absorbing such aspirants in the brahmajyoti the bodily rays of the lord the brahmajyoti is not separate from the lord as the glowing sun ray is not independent of the sun disk therefore one who desires to merge into the supreme impersonal brahmajyoti must also worship the lord by bhakti yoga as recommended here in the bhagavad gita in the shrimad bhagavatam bhakti yoga is especially stressed here as the means of all perfection in the previous chapters it has been stated that bhakti yoga is the ultimate goal of both karma yoga and jnana yoga and in the same way in this chapter it is emphatically declared that bhakti yoga is the ultimate goal of the different varieties of worship of the different demigods bhakti yoga thus being the supreme means of self realization is recommended here everyone must therefore seriously take up the methods of bhakti yoga even though one aspires for material enjoyment or liberation from material bondage akama is one who has no material desire a living being naturally being the part and parcel of the supreme whole purusham purnam has his natural function to serve the supreme being just as the parts and parcels of the body or the limbs of the body are naturally meant to serve the complete body desireless means therefore not to be inert like the stone but to be conscious of one's actual position and thus desire satisfaction only from the supreme lord Shilajiva Goswami has explained this desirelessness as bhajaniya parama purusha sukhamatra sva sukhatvam in his sandarbha This means that one should feel happy only by experiencing the happiness of the supreme lord This intuition of the living being is sometimes manifested even during the conditioned stage of a living being in the material world and such intuition is expressed in the manner of altruism philanthropy 
socialism, communism, etc. by the undeveloped minds of less intelligent persons. In the mundane field, such as such an outlook of doing good to others in the form of society, community, family, country, or humanity is a partial manifestation of the same original feeling in which a pure living entity feels happiness by the happiness of the Supreme Lord. Which such superb, such superb feelings were exhibited by the damsels of Rajabhumi for the happiness of the Lord. The gopis love the Lord without any return, and this is the perfect exhibition of the Akama spirit. Kama spirit, or the desire for one's own satisfaction, is fully exhibited in the material world, whereas the spirit of Akama is fully exhibited in the spiritual world. Thoughts of becoming one with the, with the Lord or being merged in the Brahmajyoti can only be exhibitions of Kama spirit if there are desires for one's own satisfaction to be free from the material, from the material miseries. A pure devotee does not want liberation so that he may be relieved from the miseries of life. Even without so-called liberation, a pure devotee is aspirant for the satisfaction of the Lord. Influenced by the Kama spirit, Arjuna declined to fight in the Kukshetra battlefield because he wanted to save his relatives for his own satisfaction. But being a pure devotee, he agreed to fight on the instruction of the Lord because he came to his senses and realized that satisfaction of the Lord at the cost of his own satisfaction was his prime duty. Satisfaction of the Lord at the cost of his own satisfaction was what? Correct. Thus he became a Kama. That is the perfect stage of a perfect living being. Udharadi means one who has a broader outlook. People with desires for material enjoyment worship small demigods, and such intelligence is condemned in the Bhagavad Gita 7.20 as hrtijnana, the intelligence of one who has lost his senses. One cannot obtain any result from demigods without getting sanction from the Supreme Lord. Therefore, a person with a broader outlook can see that the ultimate authority is the Lord, even for material benefits. Under the circumstances, one with a broader outlook, even with the desire for material enjoyment or for liberation, should take to the worship of the Lord directly. And everyone, whether an Akama or Sakama or Mokshakama, should worship the Lord with great expedience. This implies that Bhakti Yoga may be perfectly administered without any mixture of karma and jnana as the unmixed sunray is very forceful and is therefore called tivra. Similarly, unmixed bhakti yoga of hearing, chanting, etc. may be performed by one and all, regardless of inner motive, regardless of inner motive. Yay. Etavan eva yajatam iha nishreya sodaya all the different kinds of worshippers of multi-demigods can attain the highest perfectional benediction, which is spontaneous attraction, unflinchingly fixed upon the Supreme Personality of Godhead only by the association of the pure devotee of the Lord. 
purport all living entities in different statuses of life within the material creation, beginning from the first demigod, Brahma, down to the small ant, are conditioned under the laws of material nature or the external energy of the Supreme Lord. The living entity in his pure state is conscious of the fact that he is part and parcel of the Lord, but when he is thrown into the material world on account of his desire to lord it over material energy, he becomes conditioned by the three modes of material nature and thus struggles for existence for the highest benefit. This struggle for existence is something like following the will o' the wisp under the spell of material enjoyment. All plans for material enjoyment, either by worship of de different demigods, as described in the previous verses of this chapter, or by modernized advancement of scientific knowledge without the help of God or demigod, are illusory only. For despite all such plans for happiness, the conditioned living being within the compass of material creation can never solve the problems of life, namely birth, death, old age, and disease. The history of the universe is full of such plan makers, and many kings and emperors come and go, leaving a plan-making story only. But the prime problems of life remain unsolved despite all endeavors of such plan makers, by such plan makers. Actually, human life is meant for making a solution to the problems of life. One can never solve such problems by satisfying the different demigods, by different modes of worship, or by so-called scientific advancement in knowledge without the help of God or the demigods. Apart from the gross materialists who care very little either for God or for the demigods, the Vedas recommend worship of different demigods for different benefits. And so the demigods are neither false nor imaginary. The demigods are as factual as we are, but they are much more powerful due to their being engaged in the direct service of the Lord in managing different departments in the universal government. The Bhagavad Gita affirms this, and the different planets of the demigods are mentioned there, including the one of the supreme demigod, Lord Brahma. The gross materialists do not believe in the existence of God or the demigods nor do they believe that different planets are dominated by different demigods. They are creating a great commotion about reaching the closest celestial body, Chandraloka, or the moon, but even after much mechanical research, they have only very scanty, scanty information of this moon, and in spite of much false advertisement for selling land on the moon, the puffed-up scientists or gross materialists cannot live there and what to speak of reaching the other planets, which they are unable even to count. However, the followers of the Vedas have a different method of acquiring knowledge. They accept the statements of the Vedic literatures as authority in toto, as we have already discussed in Canto I, and therefore they have full and reasonable knowledge of God and demigods and of their different residential planets situated within the compass of the material world and beyond the limit of the material sky. The most authentic Vedic literature accepted by the great India Acharyas like Shankara, Ramanuja, Madhva, Vishnu Swami, Nimbarka, and Chaitanya, and studied by all important personalities of the world is Bhagavad Gita, in which the worship of the demigods and their respective residential planets are mentioned. The Bhagavad Gita 925 confirms 
Yanti Deva Vrata Devan Pitran Yanti Pratir Vrata Bhutani Yanti Bhuteja Yanti Madhyajino Pimam The worshippers of demigods such a reach the respective planets of the demigods and the worshippers of forefathers reach the planets of the forefathers. The gross materialist remains in the different material planets, but the devotees of the Lord reach the kingdom of God. We have information from the Bhagavad Gita that all the planets within the material world, including Brahmaloka, are but temporarily situated, and after a fixed period, they're all annihilated. Therefore, the demigods and their followers are all annihilated at the period of devastation. But one who reaches the kingdom of God gets a permanent share in eternal life. That is the verdict of Vedic literature, a permanent share in eternal life. The worshipers of the demigods have one facility more than the unbelievers due to their being convinced of the Vedic version. But, excuse me, by which they get information of the benefit of worshiping the Supreme Lord in the association of the devotees of the Lord. The gross materialist, however, without any faith in the Vedic version, remains eternally in darkness, driven by a false conviction on the basis of imperfect experimental knowledge, or so-called material science, which can never reach into the realm of transcendental knowledge. Therefore, unless the gross materialists or the worshippers of the temporary demigods come in contact with a transcendentalist like the pure devotee of the Lord, their attempts are simply a waste of energy. Only by the grace of the divine personalities, the pure devotees of the Lord, can one achieve pure devotion, which is the highest perfection of human life. Only a pure devotee of the Lord can show one the right way of progressive life. Otherwise, both the materialists way of life without any information of God or the demigods and the life engaged in the worship of demigods in pursuit of temporary material enjoyments are different phases of phantasmagoria. They are nicely explained in the Bhagavad Gita also, but the Bhagavad Gita can be understood in the association of pure devotees only and not by the interpretations of politicians or dry philosophical speculators. Transcendental knowledge in relation with the Supreme Lord, Hari, is knowledge resulting in the complete suspension of the waves and whirlpools of the material modes. Such knowledge is self-satisfying due to its being free from material attachment and being transcendental. It is approved by authorities. Who could fail to be attractive? What a nice verse, isn't it? Transcendental knowledge in relation with the Supreme Lord, Hari, is knowledge resulting in the complete suspension of the waves and whirlpools of the material modes. Such knowledge is self-satisfying due to its being free from material attachment and being transcendental. It is approved by authorities. Who could fail to be attracted? Why would you want to do anything else? Purport. According to Bhagavad Gita 10.9, the characteristics of pure devotees are wonderful. The complete functional activities of a pure devotee are always engaged in the service of the Lord, and thus the pure devotees engage, exchange feelings of ecstasy between themselves and relish transcendental bliss. This transcendental bliss is experienced even in the stage of devotional practice, sadhana avastha. 
if properly undertaken under the guidance of a bona fide spiritual master. And in the mature stage, the developed transcendental feeling culminates in realization of the particular relationship with the Lord, by which a living entity is originally constituted up to the relationship of conjugal love with the Lord, which is estimated to be the highest transcendental bliss. Thus, bhakti yoga being the only means of God-realization is called kaivalya. Shilajiva Goswami quotes the Vedic version, Eko Narayano Deva Paravaranam Paramaaste Kaivalya Sangjitaha in this connection and establishes that Narayan, the personality of God, it is known as Kaivalya and the means which enables one to approach the Lord is called the Kaivalya Panta, Kaivalya Panta or the only means of attainment of Godhead. This Kaivalya Panta begins from Shravana, or hearing the, those topics that relate to the personality of Godhead, and the natural consequence of hearing such Harikata is attained, attainment of transcendental knowledge, which causes detachment from all mundane topics, which causes detachment from all mundane topics, for which a devotee has no taste at all. For a devotee, all mundane activities, social and political, become unattractive. And in the mature state, such a devotee becomes uninterested even in his own body and went to speak of bodily relatives. In such a state of affairs, one is not agitated by the waves of material modes. There are different modes of material nature and all mundane functions in which a common man is very much interested or in which he takes part, become unattractive for the devotee. This state of affairs is described herein as pratinivritta gunormi, and it is possible by atma prasad, atma prasad, or complete self-satisfaction, atma prasad, or complete self-satisfaction without any material connection. The first-class devotee, of the Lord attains this stage by devotional service. But despite his loftiness for the Lord's satisfaction, he may play the voluntary part of a preacher of the Lord's glory and dovetail all into devotional service, even mundane interest, just to give the neophytes a chance to transform mundane interest, mundane interest into transcendental bliss. Srila Rupa Goswami has described this action of a pure devotee as nirbandha krishna Yuktam vairagya muchite. Even mundane activities dovetailed with service to the Lord are also calculated to be transcendental or approved kaivalya affairs. Everyone happy? Yes. Okay. Happy. Anu Govardhan Parikram. At the Uruvakund, there's a temple there. I hope he's still there, but he's been there ever since I've been going to Govardhan, at least recently in the last 20 years. He sits there uh, in front of the deities and gives Charnamrita to everyone who comes in from Parikram. So I always put my head down for a blessing, and he goes, Happy, happy, happy. <laughs> happy, happy. <laughs> 
Shaunaka said, the son of Vyasadeva, Srila Shukadev Goswami, was a highly learned sage and was able to describe things in a poetic manner. What did Maharaj Prakshit again inquire from him after hearing all that he had said? So we have a story within a story back at Naimasharnya. Nest, they're called nested stories. One is nested within another. Purport, a pure devotee of the Lord automatically develops all godly qualities and some of the prominent features of those qualities are as follows. He is kind, peaceful, truthful, equable, faultless, magnanimous, mild, clean, non-possessive, a well-wisher to all, satisfied, surrendered to Krishna, without hankering, simple, fixed, self-controlled, a balanced eater, sane, mannerly, prideless, grave, sympathetic, friendly, poetic, expert, and silent. It's good to mark this as 2, 3, 13, where the prominent features of the of pure devotee are listed. Out of these 26 prominent features of a devotee, as described by Krishnadas Kaviraj in his Chaitanya Chaitamrita, the qualification of being poetic is especially mentioned herein in relation to Shukadeva Goswami. The presentation of Srimad Bhagavatam by his recitation is the highest poetic contribution. He was a self-realized learned sage. In other words, he was a poet among the sages. O learned Sutta Goswami, please continue to explain such topics to us because we are all eager to hear. Besides that, topics which result in the discussion of the Lord Hari should certainly be discussed in the assembly of devotees. Purport. As we have already quoted above from the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu of Rupa Goswami, even mundane things, if dovetailed in the service of the Lord Sri Krishna, are accepted as transcendental. For example, the epics or the histories of Ramayana and Mahabharata, which are specifically recommended for the less intelligent classes, women, shudras, and unworthy sons of the higher caste, are also accepted as Vedic literature because they are compiled in connection with the activities of the Lord. Mahabharata is accepted as the fifth division of the Vedas after its four divisions, namely Sama, Yajur, Rig, and Atarva. The less intelligent do not accept Mahabharata as part of the Vedas, but great sages and authorities accept it as the fifth division of the Vedas. Bhagavad Gita is also part of the Mahabharata, and it is full of the Lord's instruction for the less intelligent class of men. Some less intelligent men say that Bhagavad Gita is not meant for householders, but such foolish men forget that Bhagavad Gita was explained to Arjuna, a grahasta, family man, and spoken by the Lord in his role as a grahasta. So Bhagavad Gita, although containing the high philosophy of the Vedic wisdom, is for the beginners in the transcendental science, and Srimad Bhagavatam is for graduates and postgraduates in the transcendental science. Therefore, literatures like Mahabharata, the Puranas, and similar other literatures which are full of the pastimes of the Lord are all transcendental literatures and they should be discussed with full confidence in the society of great devotees. The difficulty is that the difficulty is that such literatures, when discussed by professional men, appear to be mundane literatures like histories or epics because 
there are so many historical facts and figures. It is said here, therefore, that such, trans that such literature should be discussed in the assembly of devotees. Unless they are discussed by devotees, such literatures cannot be relished by the higher class of men. So the conclusion is that the Lord is not impersonal in the ultimate issue. He is the supreme person, and he has his different activities. He is the leader of all living entities, and he descends at his will and by his personal energy to reclaim the fallen souls. Thus he plays exactly like the social, political, or religious leaders. Because such roles ultimately culminate in the discussion of topics of the Lord, all such preliminary topics are also transcendental. That is the way of spiritualizing the civic activities of human society. Men have inclinations for studying history and many other mundane literatures, stories, fiction, dramas, magazines, newspapers, etc. So let them be dovetailed with the transcendental service of the Lord, and all of them will turn to the topics relished by all devotees. The propaganda that the Lord is impersonal, that he has no activity, and that he is dumb, a dumb stone without any name and form, has encouraged people to become godless, faithless demons. And the more they deviate from the transcendental activities of the Lord, the more they become accustomed to mundane activities that only clear their path to hell instead of return them back home, back to God. At footnote, even 50 years ago, the social structure of all Indians was so arranged that they would read not read any literature that was not connected with the activities of the Lord. They would not play any drama not connected with the Lord. They would not organize a fair or ceremony not connected with the Lord, nor would they visit a place that was not holy and sanctified by the pastimes of the Lord. Therefore, even the common man in the village would talk about Ramayana and Mahabharata, Gita and Bhagavatam, even from his very childhood. But the influence of the age of Kali, by the, but by the influence of the age of Kali, they have been dragged to the civilization of the dogs and hogs, laboring for bread without any sense of transcendental knowledge. Srimad Bhagavatam begins from the history of the Pandavas with necessary politics and social activities, and yet Srimad Bhagavatam is said to be the Paramahamsa Samhita, or the Vedic literature meant for the topmost transcendentalist. And it describes param jnanam, the highest transcendental knowledge. Pure devotees of the Lord are all paramahamsas, and they are like the swans who know the art of sucking milk out of a mixture of milk and water. Okay, we'll take a couple of reflections. If you could turn the Zoom room on, please. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Ekachakra Pran. Good to see you. Good to see you. Please accept my obeisances, everyone. At Prabhupada. One thing that I heard was that the prime problems of life remain unsolved by all except those who follow the pure devotees. Eternal life, bliss, and full knowledge come from fully accepting the Vedic version in toto and surrendering to the Supreme Lord. This pure devotion is the highest perfection, beginning simply by hearing transcendental topics 
an assembly of devotees like this one, automatically causing detachment from the mundane. And I really like this question that Prabhupada asked, who could fail to be attracted? And just coming here this morning made me think of the verse from Chaitanya Charitamrita Ancha 5.131 where Sarup Damodar instructs, Yaha Bhagavata Pada Vaishnavarastane. If you want to understand Srimad Bhagavatam, you must approach a self-realized Vaishnava and hear from him. So I thank you very much for creating this assembly so that we can hear from you, Guru Maharaj. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. As far as accepting the the Vedic um, process in toto, I was just listening this morning, Prabhupada was talking about everyone accepts some kind of authority. And he gave the example that people read the newspaper to find out what's going on in China. And he said, you've not been to China. You're not there now. But you read the newspaper and you accept China is like this. He said, so everyone's doing that. Only it's a question of the quality of the authority that you're listening to. So we accept Krishna, and he's saying the spiritual world's like this, I'm like this, and it's the same principle, but just a higher quality of authority. The highest quality is Krishna. Please. Thank you. Thank you, Shri Gurudev, for the amazing readings. Please accept my prostrated obeisances. So I um, have two reflections. First was um, uh, that... It was said about the in the, the in the uh, like f 50 years ago in India there were like all uh, everything was connected with the Lord. Still, like you know, from my village side and around every hill stations and everything, there is a temple there. So we always go and we always think, oh, we go there and we go to the temple, you know. Um, and um, yeah, so that was one point. And uh, uh, one question I had was. Uh, um, about the less intelligent class, Bhagavad Gita is for the less intelligent class of men. Can you answer that? And uh, if you sorry, sir. And uh, one more um, reflection was um, uh, about the happiness of the Lord. Uh, I was thinking. I recently read that uh, um, gopis were uh, feeling separation from the Krishna, not for their like because they were because they they knew that nobody else would give him more satisfaction than them, that, that Mathura women will, will not be able to give more satisfaction to Krishna than gopis. That's why they were feeling dissatisfied, separation and unhappiness. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah intelligence in the Vedic culture is a little different than what we have nowadays, or what we consider highly philosophical minds and therefore Vyasadev anticipating this in the age of Kali Yuga compiled the Mahabharata and other Puranas which are like a novel and I just heard Prabhupada speaking about it this morning he was saying everyone can become interested in it because it seems like a story and it's got intrigue in fact he just mentioned it here as well and so the Mahabharata of which uh, Bhagavad Gita is uh, one chapter uh, inserted into this uh, 
book full of intrigue, <laughs> What's, who's going to win the war, and so forth. It's a page-turner, and you get right to that section where you're wondering what's going to happen, and then the philosophy from all the Vedas comes out in this truncated form in 700 verses. So it's not just straight philosophy as is studied in books like the Vedanta Sutra and others, but it is meant for the general populace. That's what it means for people who aren't philosophically inclined, but they still get, get it because it's in the Bhagavad Gita. Nice points. We have Bukaravinda um, Prabhu, and then we'll go to Vrindasevika. Hare Krishna, dear Guru Maharaj, and all the assembled Vaishnavas, please accept my humble obeisances. Thank you, Maharaj, for this uh, nectarian reading. And <clears throat> one particular point uh, stuck to me where, where Prabhupada was telling that how um, his selfless devotee doesn't have to do anything, uh, but still he descends in the form of a preacher. And Prabhupada quotes uh, Rupa Goswami is that part of Yukta Vairagya Nirbandha Krishna Sambandha Yuktam Vairagya Muchyati. How he descend uh, for the welfare of the all the souls. He come still and 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 do his service so that other people can get benefit. So I always like that Prabhupada's mood. That too, he's discussing about the highest talk, but he brings up what is the mood, what is the mood, and that is the very sweet uh, what Prabhupada's bring. Yeah, nice point about the yuktam vairagyam uchite. Everything can be dovetailed. And then it becomes transcendentalized. Such an important principle that's not well known. Most people know either embracing the material world or just rejecting it wholesale. Hare Krishna Guru Maharaj. Um, I, I want uh, to mention uh, uh, the point that it says that uh, if the person doesn't serve the higher, even the higher, the God directly, uh, they have uh, intu uh, they intuitively uh, follow the socialism, communism, alt altruism, and I was always uh, curious how it was at the office when it was global, for example, global Earth Day, and everybody was so um, excited, and they were getting ready for it one year, like we were, ha we had like meetings, and it was much more fun, and it was, everybody was more enthusiastic about it than doing other work, like, <laughs> like other job, other project, and I was very curious why it's like this, now I understand, so uh, it's a very like natural inclination uh, in everybody to serve the higher purpose, um, like so, they have more enthusiasm, even they don't realize that's uh, what's what this. Yes, where it comes from. Yeah, it's one of my favorite points in uh, Prabhupada's teachings. It comes up again in in um, the prayers that um, Narada, not prayers, the instructions that Narada gives to Vyasadeva when he talks about how uh, all forms of art and science and literature are meant to glorify the supreme personality of Godhead. And Prabhupada indicates about how these are attempts anyway to try to glorify this. Uh, it's a natural inclination as you're bringing out from this section to everyone to, to work selflessly. They have some sense of it, but it's just misguided. It's not perfectly connected to the complete whole. And therefore, it doesn't come out the way they hoped it would, but the inclination is still there. And Earth Day is a good example. So many causes, it's like we say, there are many good causes, millions of good causes in the world, but there's only one great cause. <laughs> 
that to serve the supreme personality of Godhead, through which all the other good causes are naturally attended to. Okay, we have uh, one last Krishna one. Oh, Vaikuntha Nayaka, and then whoever else just spoke up. I like the point in the first line of the purport of the 13th uh, verse. Pure devotee of the Lord automatically develops all godly qualities. So I was thinking that um, how everyone is trying to put the cart in front of the horse, right? <laughs> but actually, if you become a devotee, all the good qualities automatically manifest. And Srila Prabhupada demonstrated it uh, by, by in his own life that, okay, he didn't first run de-addiction camps or some other programs and then introduce devotional service. He just introduced Krishna to all the people. And when Krishna entered their lives, all the, just like uh, uh, the example is given that when the sun rises, the darkness automatically gets dispelled. Uh, all the good qualities, innate good qualities manifested in, in the devotees. Thank you, Maharaj. Yeah, thank you very much. 5.18.12, yes, yasti bhaktir bhagavatiya kinchana sarvar gunas tatra samasate sura. Harava bhakta sukuto mahatguna manoratena siti davato bihi indicates what Vaikuntha uh, Nayaka Prabhu was so astutely pointing out. And who was that about to speak? Was that Danavari? Yes, oh, Guru Maharaj. Okay. Hare Krishna. Yes, please. Please accept my humble obeisances, uh, Jay Shila Prabhupada. I really, uh, I was, when I was, when I heard that uh, 50 years ago or 30 years ago, the, what the real Vedic uh, culture was there, and I was just, remind, it remi reminded me that in my town when I was growing up, uh, even, even up to 20 years ago or so, too, uh, to speak of 50, and Everybody was reading like you read in uh, the Sastras or, and then I used to hear like every day they were reading one uh, until they finished like Padma Puran, Bhagavatam Gita and all these uh, literatures. Uh, and then I'm thinking here in this country, uh, I mean, in Western world, how fortunate we are that Srila Prabhupada gave and you are constantly Guru Maharaj reading and engaging us and how rare in it that I was that I'm not I'm still I'm thinking I'm still in a village and I'm still getting all this how fortunate am I so I really appreciate very much your constant uh, engagement and constant uh, sadhana and giving us all this uh, tirelessly thank you so much Hare Krishna Hare Krishna Yes, it's Srila Prabhupada's mercy that he introduced the only source of happiness in life is to hear and chant together. Otherwise, people had, even at the time when Prabhupada began propagating the Krishna conscious movement, were looking towards the West, thinking that's how to be happy, and that this old style is backwards. And Prabhupada was going the opposite direction, bringing people from the West 
and saying, no, no, <laughs> they're coming with me this direction. But it, it's the greatest uh, asset to have in one's life to absolutely know for certain that the only time I'm happy is when I'm fully absorbed in hearing and chanting. And if you know that, then you're protected from the material energy because even though you may be interacting with the material energy, you know, I'm only happy by being in touch with Krishna through hearing and chanting. And it's such a simple and sublime process that you can set it up anywhere and make it work. And then you just have to exercise that muscle to make sure that you do it every day so that you don't get swept away by the mind that says, no, no, let me look at some uh, nonsensical activities of the material world. Gandharvika Radha, please. Hare Krishna Prabhu, Dhanavad Pranams. <clears throat> I was just thinking that how Prabhupada really understood the tendency of at least the Indian mentality. Like if we are not able to get something like through our material means and our own efforts, then immediately we start going to the demigods. And um, as you read on Janmashtami, by worshipping Durga, you will get everything fast. But then uh, how you said that you don't know whether it's good for you or not. And uh, so <clears throat> how Prabhupada explains that no matter how much you spend materially or in uh, puja satisfying the demigods, the, everything is illusion. So crossing that stage uh, really, uh, I mean, it's easy to read the sentence and not do go into that direction. But sometimes because we are attached, we do so many things and we get into trouble. And then we understand that what Prabhupada is saying is the right thing to do because all those results will be so temporary and illusory. And later on also we read like sometimes we get attached to those demigods because they gave what we wanted. And then eventually the attachment binds us and we end up in their planet and we totally forget our Krishna consciousness. So in, it's a, in a way I, I'm thinking how it's so dangerous uh, from a real interest in serving Krishna. So thank you Prabhu for reading. Yeah, these are excellent and very helpful points to be able to analyze what is good and bad in this world? Someone may attain wealth and uh, living in an environment where everything's supplied because of the wealth, one may then forget the simple pleasures in life. For instance, cooking for oneself, just sweeping the floors is actually a, a you can feel satisfaction. But when I'm wealthy, I never sweep the floor. I don't, uh, I don't cook, I don't do anything. Uh, just fr from a basic point, viewpoint of what life is like. And then yesterday I was thinking, because somebody sent me a, a, an article that said that um, the owner of Tesla, I forget what his name is. Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Elon Musk, because the, the stock went up, up to over a trillion in one day, he made 127 billion. And after I heard that, I was on my walk and I was thinking, you make 127 billion in one day, but you don't know how to spend it. Then it just becomes a, a greater source of anxiety. And it's absolutely meaningless unless you have a, a, a place to put all that money, which, and the only place you could do it is 
serve Krishna. You could build temples and you could distribute a lot of books. <laughs> and there are 127 billion Krishna, please. And, and so forth. Otherwise, the material energy becomes such a, a burden to us. So that what pe people ask the demigods for, or the universe, or whatever they're, whomever they're asking, they don't know uh, where happiness comes from in the first place, even from a basic material level. I saw in Vrindavan sometimes when I'm going on Parikram, I see these little kids that live in tiny villages, and they don't have anything. Their clothes are very simple, but they, they sit there all day playing marbles. They have a few marbles <laughs> and a little, you know, little dirt pit they're shooting into. And they're, they're just as ecstatic as a kid who you just, or more, then you just bought a remote in one of those trucks. I see after Christmas in my neighborhood, all the kids get these trucks that go like 100 miles an hour when you push the button and they smash them into poles and stuff. And then they're tired of it within a week. It's like, can it do something else? Can it blow up or something? <laughs> There's no end to it. But a simpler life that's centered around God or the simple life centered around God is actually the source of happiness. Otherwise, try as one might to try to ramp up the material facility, and it, it doesn't work. It's, it doesn't work at all. Thank you, everybody, for such insight. Can I uh, quickly share something yesterday? Yes, please. Okay, yes, I uh, just wanted to uh, say that yesterday my friend and... Um, Three Matajis, uh, including myself, we went to Mesa College to distribute books. And uh, we really did good with your mercy and uh, the enthusiasm and uh, all your uh, sadhanas. We had a good day and just wanted to share with you that it really went well. And uh, thank you for encouraging me and other devotees. Thank you very much for that report. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna Maharaj, can I add something? Yeah, okay, last one. Go ahead. Yes, uh, Guru Maharaj, uh, I just wanted to add uh, to your point when you're talking about Elon Musk. Uh, so uh, I think three days ago, I went to a store uh, to a gentleman who is actually uh, where I placed the Bhagavad Gita a few days uh, last year. And he saw me and he greeted me, Hare Krishna. And uh, then he started talking. And then a few minutes later, he said that, you know, everything is good, but I'm not making enough money. You know, and he has a big store, actually, he's the owner of a big store. And, uh, and then uh, he started talking, you know, he's missed his family and his family is in uh, India. And then I, then I said, you know, uh, you know, you have enough, you know, don't worry, you know, you'll get what you deserve and, you know, just give him a little bit. But then I told him that, you know, uh, Bill Gates, uh, and, you know, the Jeff of Amazon, you know, they both have tons of money. Guess what? You know, they both were uh, their wives, you know, or maybe they, they got, both got divorced like in last one year. You know, that means if you get so much money, that's not going to be more, give you more happiness. You know, you're happy already and you're thinking about your family who is in India. You wanted to bring them here and all that. And then moment I said that part, he said, when is your temple open? You know, I just want... <laughs> to go there <laughs> so i felt like you know the, the people that are in this mad race they're running and then in a moment they have this understanding you know what i have is enough and you know 
I cannot, uh, if I get more, I'm not going to become more happier. And he was so thankful, you know, even it was a three months conversation, but he wanted to visit the temple. So I just thought to add to your point that, uh, you know, more you have, you don't know what to do, then you can do it. You know, that's what we see actually with the, the top richest people actually. So Thank you very much, Radha Kripa Prabhu. Yes, unless there's some intervention that to, to, to people are reminded that there's a better thing. And that can happen on a daily or moment-to-moment -moment basis in our lives. That unless that's why we live in ashramas, because the mind is always going back to the material world thinking, no, no, I'll be happy here. But we have to have constant reminder that the conch blows and it goes, right, I got to go to Mangalartik. <laughs> and then you go to Mangalartik, it's like, yeah, I'm actually happy here. But afterwards, the mind says, now, you know, go, go do something else. And then there's, no, Tulsi Puja. So, uh, therefore, tanama rupa charitari sikirtananu smritiyo karmena rasana There's a way in which Rupa Goswami describes, you have to set up your life so that you can always be reminded that the happiness isn't in the material world, it's in the hearing and chanting, until we cross that line where we come into ruchi, past nishta. Nishta bhakti, we become very steady at what we're doing. We're, we're never wavering in our practice of devotional service. But in ruchi, the, the nectar starts to pour in. And we're much more interested in the hearing and chanting than we are in anything else. And then when asakti comes, then it's difficult for us to pull our attention away from Krishna consciousness to attend to other things because we're so attached. Asakti means complete attachment to devotional service and the, uh, means non-detachment from everything that's not related to Krishna. It's a great endeavor to pull one's mind in that direction. Whereas even up to nishta, we're still, we have the strength, but we're pulling our mind back from the material energy. But then, like rolling a, a rock to the top of a hill. Once you get it to the top and you go down the other side, ruchi starts and the nectar starts to flow very easily. So we have to get to this position uh, in the practice of bhakti so that uh, we're on the, what we call the safe side. We're no longer attracted at all. But even then, the devotees are always careful because they, they like Prahlad Maharaj says, I'm still afraid of Vishnu Maya because at any minute it's so powerful that I can be pulled back in. I just put one little finger in, it's like it's no big deal. And the next thing you know, your whole hand goes in, then the arm, and then you're being pulled in. And then he says, Nishpijamanam, that I'm being ground up uh, by the, the, the wheel of this material energy, like really ground up. A big grinder wheel. We're continuing with pure devotional service as spoken by Srila Shukadev Goswami. And just now, uh, we're in a nested story in which Shaunaka is speaking. And he's speaking to Sutta Goswami. Shaunaka is the eldest amongst the sages at Naimasharanya, who is elected to interact with Sutta. So he goes on, Marish Prikshit, the grandson of the Pandavas, was from his very childhood a great devotee of the Lord. Even while playing with dolls, he used to worship Lord Krishna by imitating the worship of the family deity. 
purport. In the Bhagavad Gita 641, it is stated that even a person who has failed in the proper discharge of yoga practice is given a chance to take birth in the house of devout brahmanas or in the houses of rich men like Kshatriya kings or rich merchants. But Maharaj Prikshit was more than that because he had been a great devotee of the Lord since his previous birth. And as such, he took his birth in an imperial family of the Kurus and especially that of the Pandavas. So from the very beginning of his childhood, he had the chance to know intimately the devotional service of Lord Krishna in his own family. The Pandavas, all being devotees of the Lord, certainly venerated family deities in the royal palace for worship. Children who appear in such families fortunately generally imitate such worship of the deities, even in the way of childhood play. By the grace of Lord Sri Krishna, we had the chance of being born in a Vaishnav family, and in our childhood, we imitated the worship of Lord Krishna by imitating our father. Our father encouraged us in all respects to observe all functions, such as the Rathiyatra and Dola Yatra ceremonies. And he also, and he used to spend money liberally for distributing prasad to us children and our friends. Our spiritual master who took his birth in a Vaishnav family got all inspirations from his great Vaishnav father, Thakur Bhakti Vinod. That is the way of all lucky Vaishnav families. The celebrated Mirabai was a staunch devotee of Lord Krishna as the great lifter of Govardhan Hill. The life history of many such devotees is almost the same because there is always symmetry between the early lives of all great devotees of the Lord. According to Jiva Goswami, Maharaj Prikshit must have heard about the childhood pastimes of Lord Krishna at Vrindavan, for he used to imitate the pastimes with his young playmates. According to Sridhar Swami, Maharaj Prikshit used to imitate the worship of the family deity by elderly members. Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti also confirms the viewpoint of Jiva Goswami. So accepting either of them, Maharaj Prikshit was naturally inclined to Lord Krishna from his very childhood. He might have imitated either of the above-mentioned activities and all of them establish his great devotion from his very childhood, a symptom of a Mahabhagavata. Such Mahabhagavatas are called Nitya Siddhas, or souls liberated from birth. But there are, or there are also others who may not be liberated from birth, but who develop a tendency for devotional service by association, and they are called sadhana siddhas. There is no difference between the two in the ultimate issue. And so the conclusion is that everyone can become a sadhana siddha, a devotee of the Lord, simply by association with the pure devotees. The concrete example is our great spiritual master, Sri Narada Muni. In his previous life, he was a simple he was simply a boy of a maidservant, but through association with great devotees, he became a devotee of the Lord of his own standard, unique in the history of devotional service. Shukadev Goswami, the son of Vyasadev. I think you can close that all the way because it's glit. Thank you very much. Shukadev Goswami, the son of Vyasadev, was also full in transcendental knowledge and was a great devotee of Lord Krishna son of Vasudev. So there must have been discussion of Lord Krishna, who is glorified by great philosophers and in the company of great devotees.
purport. The word satam is very important in this verse. Satam means the pure devotees who have no other desire than to serve the Lord. Only in the association of such devotees are the transcendental glories of Lord Krishna properly discussed. It is said by the Lord that his topics are all full of spiritual significance. And once one properly hears about him in the association of the satam, certainly one's senses, one senses the great potency and so automatically attains to the devotional stage of life. It's a beautiful sentence. I'll read it again. It is said by the Lord that his topics are all full of spiritual significance. And once one properly hears about him in the association of the satam, certainly one senses the great potency and so automatically attains to the devotional stage of life. You sense the great potency. As already described, Maharaj Prikshit was a great devotee of the Lord from his very birth, and so was Shukadeva Goswami. Both of them were on the same level, although it appeared that Maharaj Prikshit was a great king accustomed to royal facilities, whereas Shukadeva Goswami was a typical renouncer of the world, so much so that he did not even put a cloth on his body. Superficially, Maharaj Prikshit and Shukadeva Goswami might seem to be opposites, but basically they were both unalloyed pure devotees of the Lord. When such devotees are assembled together, there can be no topics save discussions of the glories of the Lord or Bhakti Yoga. In the Bhagavad Gita also, when there were talks between the Lord and his devotee Arjuna, there could not be any other top there could not be any topic other than Bhakti Yoga. However, the mundane scholars may speculate on it in their own ways. The use of the word cha after Vayasaki, it suggests, according to Srila Jiva Goswami, that both Shukadeva Goswami and Maharaj Prikshit were of the same category, settled long before, although one was playing the part of a master and the other the disciple. Since Lord Krishna is the creator of the topics, the word Vasudeva Parayana, or devotee of Vasudeva, suggests devotee of Lord Krishna, the common aim. Although there were many others who assembled at the place where Marsh Prikshit was fasting, the natural conclusion is that there was no topic other than the glorification of the Lord because the principal speaker was Shukadeva Goswami and the chief audience was Marsh Prikshit. So Srimad Bhagavatam, as it was spoken and heard by two principal devotees of the Lord, is only for the glorification of the Supreme Lord, the personality of Godhead Sri Krishna. Ayur hariti vai pum sam udyan astam chayanasau. Sasyarte yat shano nita utama shloka varartaya. Utama shloka varartaya. Both by rising and, and by setting, the sun decreases the duration of life of everyone, except one who utilizes the time by discussing topics of the all good personality of Godhead. Purport. This verse indirectly confirms the greater importance of utilizing the human form of life to realize our lost relationship with the Supreme Lord by acceleration of devotional service. Time and tide wait for no man, so the time indicated by the sunrise and the sunset will be uselessly wasted if such time is not properly utilized for realizing identification of spiritual values. Even a fraction of the duration of life wasted 
even a fraction of the duration of life wasted cannot be comp compensated by any amount of gold. Human life is simply awarded to a living entity, jiva, so that he can realize his spiritual identity and his permanent source of happiness. A living being, especially the human being, is seeking happiness because happiness is the natural situation of the living entity. But he is vainly seeking happiness in the material atmosphere. A living being is constitutionally a spiritual spark of the complete whole, and his happiness can be perfectly perceived in spiritual activities. The Lord is the complete spirit whole, and his name, form, quality, pastimes, entourage, and personality are all identical with him. Once a person comes into contact with any one of the above-mentioned energies of the Lord through the proper channel of devotional service, the door to perfection is immediately opened. In the Bhagavad Gita 240, the Lord has explained such contact in the following words. Endeavors in devotional service are never baffled. There is, nor is there failure. A slight beginning of such activities is sufficient even to deliver a person from the great ocean of material fears. That's a nice translation of the 240, isn't it? As a highly potent drug injected intravenously, highly potent drug injected intravenously, acts at once on the whole body, the transcendental topics of the Lord injected through the ear of the pure devotee of the Lord can act very efficiently. Oral, oral realization of the transcendental messages implies total realization. Just as fructification of one part of a tree, another analogy, implies fructification of all other parts. This realization for a moment in the association, for a moment, this realization for a moment in the association of pure devotees like Shukadev Goswami prepares one's complete life for eternity. And thus the sun fails to rob the pure devotee of his duration of life, inasmuch as he is constantly busy in the devotional service of the Lord, purifying his existence. Death is a symptom of the material infection of the eternal living being. Important sentence. Only due to material infection is the eternal living entity subjected to the law of birth, death, old age, and disease. The materialistic way of pious activities like charity is recommended in the Smriti Shastras as quoted by Srila Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur. Money given in charity to a suitable person is guaranteed bank balance in the next life. Such charity is recommended to be given to a brahmana. If the money is given in charity to a non-brahmana without brahminical qualification, the money is returned in the next life in the same proportion. If it is given in charity to a half-educated Brahmin, even then the money is returned double. If the money is given in charity to a learned and fully qualified Brahmana, the money is returned a hundred and a thousand times. And if the money is given to a Veda Paraga, one who has factually realized the path of the Vedas, a Veda Paraga, it is returned by unlimited multiplication. The ultimate end of Vedic knowledge is realization of the personality of Godhead, Lord Krishna. As stated in the Bhagavad Gita, there is guarantee of monies being returned if given in charity regardless of the proportion. 
Similarly, a moment passed in the association of a pure devotee by hearing and chanting the transcendental messages of the Lord is a perfect guarantee for eternal life, for returning home back to Godhead. Madhama gutva punar chanma navidite. In other words, a devotee of the Lord is guaranteed eternal life. A devotee's old age or disease in the present life is but an impetus to such guaranteed eternal life. Haribo! Happy, happy. Do the trees not live? Do the bellows of the blacksmith not breathe? All around us do the beasts not eat and discharge semen? Purport. The materialistic man of, modern, of the modern age will argue that life or part of it is never meant for discussion of theosophical or theological arguments. Life is meant for the maximum duration of existence for eating, drinking, sexual intercourse, making merry, and enjoying life. The modern man wants to live forever by the advancement of material science. And there are many foolish theories for prolonging life to the maximum duration. But the Srimad Bhagavatam affirms that life is not meant for so-called economic development or advancement of materialistic science for the hedonistic philosophy of eating, mating, drinking, and merrymaking. Life is solely meant for tapasya, for purifying existence, so that one may enter into eternal life just after the end of the human form of life. The materialists want to prolong life as much as possible because they have no information of the next life. They want to get the maximum comforts in this present life because they think conclusively that there is no life after death. This ignorance about the eternity of a living being and the change of covering in the material world has played havoc in the structure of modern human society. Consequently, there are many problems multiplied by various plans of modernized man. The plans for solving the problems of society have only aggravated the troubles. Even if it is possible to prolong life more than 100 years, advancement of human civilization does not necessarily follow. The Bhagavatam says that certain trees live for hundreds and thousands of years. At Vrindavan, there is a tamarind tree the place is known as Imlital, which is said to have existed since the time of Lord Krishna. In the Calcutta Botanical Garden, there is a banyan tree said to be older than 500 years, and there are many such trees all over the world. Swami Shankara uh, lived only 32 years, and Lord Chaitanya lived 48 years. Does it mean that the prolonged lives of the above-mentioned trees are more important than Shankara or Chaitanya? Prolonged life without spiritual value is not very important. One may doubt that trees have life because they do not breathe, but modern scientists like Bose have already proved that there is life in plants, so breathing is no sign of actual life. The Bhagavatam says that the bellows of the blacksmith breathes very soundly, but that does not mean that the bellows has life. The materialists will argue that life in the tree and the life in the man cannot be compared because the tree cannot enjoy life by eating palatable dishes or by enjoying sexual intercourse. In reply to this, the Bhagavatam asks whether other animals like the dogs and hogs living in the same village with human beings do not eat and enjoy sexual life. 
the specific utterance of Srimad Bhagavatam in regard to other animals means that persons who are simply engaged in planning a better type of animal life, consisting of eating, breathing, and mating, are also animals in the shape of human beings. A society of such polished animals cannot benefit suffering humanity, for an animal can easily harm another animal, but rarely do good. Men who are like hogs, dogs, camels, and asses, praise those men who never listen to the transcendental pastimes of Lord Sri Krishna, the deliverer from evils. Again, this is still um, being spoken by Shaunaka. Shaunaka speaking to Sutta Goswami. Purport, the general mass of people, unless they are trained systematically for a higher standard of life and spiritual values, are no better than animals. Everyone okay? And in this verse, they have particularly been put on the level of dogs, hogs, camels, and asses. Modern university education practically prepares one to acquire a doggish mentality with which to accept the service of a greater master. After finishing a so-called education, the so-called educated person, persons move like dogs from door to door with applications for some service, and mostly they are driven away, informed of no vacancy as dogs are negligible animals and serve the master faithfully for bits of bread. A man serves a master faithfully without sufficient rewards. Persons who have no discrimination in the matter of foodstuff and who eat all sorts of rubbish are compared to hogs. Hogs are very much attached to eating stools, so stool is a kind of foodstuff for a particular type of animal. And even stones are edible for a particular type of animal or bird. But the human being is not meant for eating anything, everything and anything. He is meant for he is meant to eat grains, vegetables, fruits, milk, sugar, etc. Animal food is not meant for the human being. For chewing solid food, the human being has a particular type of teeth meant for cutting fruits and vegetables. The human being is endowed with two canine teeth as a concession for persons who will eat animal flesh, animal food at any cost. It is known to everyone that one's, one man's food is another man's poison. Human beings are expected to accept the remnants of food offered to, the, offered to Lord Krishna, and the Lord accepts food stuff from the categories of leaves, flowers, fruits, etc. Bhagavad Gita 9.26 As prescribed by Vedic scriptures, no animal food is offered to the Lord. Therefore, a human being is meant to eat a particular type of food, he should not imitate the animals to derive so-called vitamin values. Therefore, a person who has no discrimination in regard to eating is compared to a hog. The camel is a kind of animal that takes pleasure in eating thorns. A person who wants to enjoy family life or the worldly life of so-called enjoyment is compared to the camel. Materialistic life is full of thorns. And so one should live only by the prescribed method of Vedic regulations, just to make the best use of a bad bargain. Life in the material world is maintained by sucking one's own blood. The central point of attraction for material, material enjoyment is sex life. To enjoy sex life is to suck one's own blood, and there is not much more to be explained in this connection. 
The camel also sucks its own blood while chewing thorny twigs. The thorns the camel eats cut the tongue of the camel, and so blood begins to flow within the camel's mouth. The thorns mixed with fresh blood create a taste for the foolish camel, and so he enjoys the thorn-eating business with false pleasure. Similarly, the great business magnates, industrialists who work very hard to earn money by different ways and questionable means, eat the thorny results of their actions mixed with their own blood. Therefore, the Bhagavatam has situated these diseased fellows along with the camels. The ass is an animal who is celebrated as the greatest fool, even amongst the animals. The ass works very hard and carries burdens of the maximum weight without making profit for itself. Footnote, human life is meant for earning values. This life is called artidom, or that which can deliver values. And what is the greatest value of life? It is to return home back to Godhead, as indicated in the Bhagavad Gita 8.15. One's selfishness, one's selfishness must be aimed at the point of going back home back to Godhead. That's important. One's selfishness must be aimed at the point of going back home back to Godhead. I heard this morning Prabhupada saying that, that everyone works for some uh, result. It's just that the devotees work for the result of going back to Godhead or attaining love of God. Everyone's self-interested, but some have self-interest which is aligned with their eternal nature. The ass does not know his self-interest and it works very hard for other, other, others only. A person who works very hard for others only, forgetting his personal interest Available in the human form of life is compared to the ass. In the Brahma Vaivarta Purana, it is said, human life is so important that even the demigods and the higher planets sometimes aspire for a human body on this earth because in the human body, only one can easily go back to Godhead. In spite of having obtained such an important body, if one does not re-establish his lost eternal relation with Govinda, Lord Krishna, he is certainly a fool who has forgotten his self-interest. This human form of material body is obtained by a gradual process of evolution to one body after another in the cycle of 8,400,000 varieties of life. And the poor man, forgetting this importance for his own interests, involves himself in so many illusory engagements for uplifting the position of others as a leader of political emancipation and economic development. There is no harm in trying for political emancipation or economic development, but one should not forget the real aim of life. All such philanthropic activities must be dovetailed to returning to Godhead. One who does not know this is compared to the ass who works only for others without their their or his own welfare in mind. The ass is generally engaged by the washerman under his social position, whose social position is not very respectable. And the special qualification of the ass is that it is very much accustomed to being kicked by the opposite sex. When the ass begs for sexual intercourse, he is kicked by the fair sex. Yet he still follows the female for such sexual pleasure. A henpecked man is compared, therefore, to the ass. The general mass of people work very hard, especially in the age of Kali. In this age, the human being is actually engaged in the work of an ass, 
carrying heavy burdens and driving tela and rickshaws. The so-called advancement of human civilization has engaged a human being in the work of an ass. The laborers in great factories and workshops are also engaged in such burdensome work. And after working hard during the day, the poor laborer has to be kicked again by the fair sex, not only for sex enjoyment, but also for so many household affairs. So Srimad Bhagavatam's categorization of the common man without any spiritual enlightenment into the society of dogs, hogs, camels, and asses is not at all an, is not at all an exaggeration. The leaders of such ignorant masses of people may feel very proud of being adored by such a number of dogs and hogs, but that is not very flattering. The Bhagavatam openly declares that although a person may be a great leader of such dogs and hogs disguised as men, if he has no taste for being enlightened in the science of Krishna, such a leader is also an animal and nothing more. He may be des designated as a powerful, strong animal or a big animal, but in the estimation of Srimad Bhagavatam, he has never given a place in the category of a man on account of his atheistic temperament. Or in other words, such godless leaders of dogs and hog-like men are bigger animals with the qualities of animals in greater proportion. And now we have time for a couple of reflections or a question. Hare Krishna Guru Maharaj. Is that Devavrata? Yes. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. I just was thinking, I was really appreciating the glorification of Maharaj Parikshik and Shukadeva Goswami and Sometimes on book distribution, people ask, well, what makes this book so special? Or what makes these books so special? And generally what I'll say is that, you know, all different parts of the world, there's different kinds of religion and that the message is being communicated according to the capacity of receptivity of the audience. But I say, but these books here, these are fully liberated people hearing from fully liberated people. So the receptivity capacity is very, very high. I was just appreciating that glorification that Srila Prabhupada was giving of how Shukadeva Goswami is a pure devotee, Maharaj Prikshik is a pure devotee. And to be uh, aware of their conversation is really a benediction. Such an important point, and I like how you've integrated it into your presentation, Srimad Bhagavatam, so that it's comprehensible to the people. Excellent. Thank you. Okay, a couple more reflections. Yes. I have a question from the previous uh, uh, section of verses. There was a line which said that uh, one should feel happy only by experiencing the happiness of the Supreme Lord. So my question is, uh, like, how do we exactly understand this in our context? Like Krishna Prabhu was giving example of the gopis, that how they were hap happy thinking of the happiness of Krishna, but... In our context, how do we understand that? Pantratri worship is one of the ways that you can understand it very clearly. For instance, on Janmashtami, yeah, it's natural, even when you go to an ordinary person's birthday, you're going there for their pleasure. That's the idea. It's not like, hey, everybody, what about me? And it's like, everyone's like, get out of here. It's, it's, it's Scotty's birthday, not yours. <laughs> so everyone understands that you know someone's in the center for the for the birthday, right? So we come to Janmashtami, which is one of the 
it's actually one of the limbs of bhakti is to uh, elaborately um, worship Krishna on Janmashtami. And so everybody knows they come here, in fact, they don't eat because eating is sort of like, you know, it brings attention to you. Somebody's got to serve you and then you clean up and all that stuff. So he's like, well, I'm not even eating today because I'm just going to give all my attention to Krishna on his birthday. And then all the flowers and then all the songs and everything, everybody notices it for Krishna. And, and come 1231 at night, after everyone's fasted all day long, and they've given all their energy to serving Krishna, everyone's sitting there going like, can we do this again tomorrow? And like every day, because I've never been happier. And so uh, we can understand when, when we serve Krishna's senses in the form of the deity, uh, like if you take the time to do deity worship and you offer a mirror to Krishna, you're not looking in the mirror. Krishna's looking in the mirror, but you feel satisfaction you're holding there. Even if you watch somebody else doing it, you go like, ooh, that's nice. Krishna's being satisfied. And therefore, you feel happy. You're participating just by watching. And in the context of this pantratric system, uh, we can understand how nice it is. If you keep uh, Shishi Guru Gurunga in your home and you come home, after a long day of work, and then the deities are there, the lights are on, and and you feel like, oh yeah, it's all worth it. I'm doing this for Krishna. I'm, I'm, I'm. I can offer something now to Krishna after my hard work. I'm gonna buy, let's say, a hundred sets of Bhagavatam. I'm gonna sponsor a hundred sets of Bhagavatams tonight because I just got a raise. And then you feel like, oh yeah, okay, I'm I'm pleasing Krishna, so I feel satisfied. If you were to think. Okay, I'll I'll buy myself a new car, which you know nothing wrong with that, but uh, it's not the same feeling, and you can you can notice this, and this is when one actually understands this principle that uh, Prahlad Maharaj mentions in his prayers to Lord Nishringatev that just he says as when you decorate your face, the reflection in the mirror is also decorated, so similarly because we're like reflections of Krishna. When we uh, decorate Krishna, when we please Krishna's senses, then we also feel satisfied. If someone actually gets that principle, you'll notice their life changes. Their, their, the center of attention is Krishna. Their center of attention is Krishna. And they actually feel happy. They're not disturbed by material nature. So it's very practical in, a, in the realm of what we have here set up by Srila Prabhupada. You're welcome. Okay, so we have two, three more lined up on the board, and then we'll uh, call it a morning because we're coming back in a little while. And we have Ekachakra Pran first, and then Roman. Hare Krishna. I remember this point that in association of the Satam or the pure devotees, one senses the great potency of these transcendental topics and takes to the devotional path. And that just a moment of this realization prepares one's life for total perfection. And I liked how hearing from the pure devotees was compared to donating money to the Brahmana returning thousand million times. And then how Narada was given as the concrete example of this power, just going from a very simple boy through association with the sages, he became the greatest spiritual master in his own class, 
fully dedicated to traveling the world and preaching God consciousness. So my question is, how can we persuade society that chanting and hearing is actually in their own best self-interest? Well, it's not a matter of intellectually persuading anybody, but if you create a space where they feel safe to come in and it's in a context they can understand at first. This is the way of preaching that you have to create a habitat so the animal can survive. If you put an animal into a habitat that he or she is not used to, uh, the animal freaks out. So you have to create, you have to anticipate what is their normal habitat and then create an environment in which they start to hear at a level that they can appreciate. And then they start to feel different. They'll notice that, wow, this, this is actually nicer than hanging out with my friends and just talking about the baseball game. And if they get prasadam, then they think like, wow, I like this. This is really nice. It's better than stopping at the fast food place. And so they gradually get a higher taste in the association of devotees. And as they do, their capacity to hear increases. And when that happens, adau shraddha tata sarusanga. So in the beginning, this faith has to awaken. Yadrishi, yadrishi, shraddha, sadhira, abhavati tadrishi. The more that that faith, or like, I like this, this is good. I should do this more. This is the awakening of faith. Then they want to associate with devotees. So they'll, they'll okay, where, where's the rest of you guys? You know, how, how do I come and like officially hang out with you? <laughs> Because, like, this isn't enough for me now. And that's called sadhusanga. And then from sadhusanga comes bhajana kriya. They watch what the other devotees are doing. And it's natural for humans when they get in a society. They get socialized. And they say, like, well, he's doing that. Can, can, can I do that? I, I want to, like, you know, like, what about this? Can I wear this? And, you know, they start to identify very naturally through osmosis. And so this is what's... The, this is why Prabhupada created the Christian conscious movement. He said he created it to, to create association for the people. So we have to be very wise about it and compassionate. Compassionate means we have to go out of our way to create an environment that people will, can survive in and not just say like, hey, this is our club, you know. Like, and if you guys aren't in it, you're losers anyway. Dogs, hogs, camels, asses, get out of here. You know, we have to be really compassionate and think like... I'm a, I'm a dog, I'm a hog, camel, ass, you know, but somebody let me in. So can I, like, you know, borders are closed now. No more other people can come in. It's like, but wait a minute, aren't you like European? <laughs> it's like, yeah, but that's different. So we can't be like envious people. We have to be very compassionate and think of ways and means and go out of our way to, to make that arrangement for people. Thank you for your important question. Okay, uh, who is next? Roman. Oh, Roman, coming from Toronto, Canada. <laughs> Hare Krishna, Guru Maharaj. Hare Krishna. <laughs> Thank you very much uh, for your classes. And I was impatient uh, for this day. I really liked the uh, last week uh, readings. And uh, uh, while uh, studying Jumpstart course uh, and uh, lecture today, I found uh, about, importance about time and uh, how even a second uh, missed uh, with devotional service, uh, you can return it anymore to yourself. And, you know, filling up my sadhana card, I start to think 
imagine if you come into your bedtime and you did, you haven't done your japa yet and uh, those 16 uh, rounds can end up to you know two o'clock at night and uh, yet it definitely time is flies and uh, it's sort of a push from the krishna as well he's telling you oh you don't have a time you have to do it right now but it definitely blessing because now you value every moment that you spend with the uh, devotees you value every moment that you spend with the service and uh, and tracking your progress is not really bad saying i was thinking well it's kind of like you safe pd but it actually gives you the uh, opportunity to not waste that moment and uh, to use every second to uh, participate in devotional service because as Shukadeva Goswami mentioned, the Maya is really powerful. It can take you and suck you in in a second. And even given this ability in that time, in that second, to Maya to suck you in can destroy all your devotional service. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, time is a Krishna and time is uh, uh, killing us, but times gives us opportunity to value every moment on this earth. And, uh, you know, by knowing reason why we're here and what we have to do, you realize, yes, you have no time, but you still have some time to get engaged. Uh, you still have some time to for your sadhana. And uh, that's really merciful as well, I think, uh, like after coming to realize that. Thank you, Dr. Roman. Really nice points. Really nice points. And we want to be able to string together. Who's next? Who's up there? Can't hear. Okay, Shraddha. Hare Krishna Guru Maharaj, please accept my respectful obeisances. And thank you for these reading sessions. Really enlivening. Tuesday morning, we are all here gathered to do this. So Guru Maharaj, I was thinking about that point where uh, glorification of the speaker, Shukadev Goswami, has been described and the qualification of the listener, Prahlad, uh, Parikshit Maharaj, has been described. And when they come together, there can be no other topic to be discussed but only Krishna Katha. And that's the transcendental sound vibration that can uh, undo any sort of material inauspicious sound vibration. So wherever we get an opportunity to be in an association like that, we should take full advantage of that because that's the ultimate happiness. That's what's going to keep us. And who, who will not be attracted to it, as Prabhupada asked. So we should try and find our space in those places to be there and take the full opportunity of these um, uh, devotee sanghas. And Guru Maharaj, I was also thinking about this when we were talking about in the previous section about material happiness. In our reading circle, we are reading reading um, Canto 3, and just yesterday we were reading Canto 3, Chapter 25, Purport of Text 13, where Prabhupada right in the beginning says, in the material world, everyone is trying to get some material happiness, but as soon as we get some material happiness, there is also material distress. In the material world, one, one cannot have unadulterated happiness. Any kind of happiness one has is contaminated by distress also. So what's the point in hankering for material happiness? Because it's just going to be so short-lived and ultimately we'll be back to the drudgery. So I was just thinking about it. Hare Krishna Guru Maharaj. Yeah, thank you for your points. It's almost worse because it looks like it should work and it doesn't. <laughs> and uh, your point and Roman's point are interconnected in that about 
as you said, Bhaktin Shraddha, but whenever you get a, an opportunity to take advantage of association and hearing, should do it. Because we don't know how many we'll get. And even one can change your life. And Bhakti Roman was talking about utilizing time as efficiently as possible. If we can get in that flow, just as somebody who's in business, the Prophet points out, like a CEO, if you ask for an appointment, say, I'll give you two and a half minutes, that's it. Because so busy, day and night, and ready for anything, always. So we should be like that also, but for Krishna and our service to the Sankirtan movement, we should be giving that type of consideration and energy and investment of time. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you, Shraddha. And we're going to do, uh, um, finish with that, and then uh, we'll take it up again tonight. I like what you said, Shraddha, also about here we are on a Tuesday morning. Why not? In fact, when you're reading Bhagavatam, you don't notice exactly when it is, what day of the week. You can just go through. I know when we're at Govardhan, the, the, the days are punctuated by what holy day is coming up next. That's what we're counting toward. When's the next Akadashi? When's Govardhan Puja? When's Prabhupada's disappearance day? And so forth. We really don't think in terms of days because they're all regulated in the same way. Srila Prabhupada ki jai, Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai, Gaur Bhaktivrinda ki jai, Vantra Kaupada Rishja, Kripa Sindhabe, Vachapatitanam Pavani Bhyo, Vaishnavi Bhyo, Namo Namaha, Nantakulti Vaishnavi ki jai. Krishna willing, we'll see you all back here tonight. At what time? Five o'clock. Five o'clock? See you in a couple hours. Hare Krishna. His Grace Vaishnavi Shikha Prabhupada.